Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Nihongo Master Podcast. I'm your host Azra and today we're going to be talking about a topic which is probably close to a lot of your hearts, video games. That means it's my job to give a rundown of Japanese video game culture in less than half an hour, which is kind of like trying to summarize war and peace in a haiku. But hey, let's give it a go. More than any other country in the world, Japan led the charge in the development of video game tech and software. No matter how old you are, I'll bet some of your best gaming memories began as the bright idea of a developer here in the land of the rising sun. Space Invaders and Pac-Man ruled the arcades of the early 80s, while franchises like Final Fantasy and The Legend of Zelda dominated the polygonic days of the 1990s. Their modern-day descendants still continue to top the charts with each new installment. With the PS5 due to launch at the end of this year, and the Nintendo Switch enjoying a heyday of outstanding titles, it doesn't look like things will be slowing down here anytime soon. So, without further ado, let's load up on mana potions, equip our best iron gauntlets, and set off for the heart of Japanese video game culture. Oh, and get your vocab books ready, of course. First, let's take a brief panoramic look at the Japanese video game landscape. Hardcore enthusiasts will be able to rattle off countless Japanese companies who have been influential on the video game scene, but we're just gonna stick with three of the biggest today. Sega, Sony, and Nintendo. Between these three companies, they have more iconic characters than anyone could possibly remember, and in broad terms, their story is the story of Japanese video gaming culture as a whole. First up, Nintendo. The year is 1983, Total eclipse of the heart is rocking the airways, the Japanese economic bubble is looking plump and juicy, and the word microtransaction won't enter the English lexicon for another three decades. Life is good. As if synth-pop and bumper salaries weren't enough, the Japanese could also enjoy coming home to unwind with a game on their brand new Nintendo Famicom, short for Family Computer. This gorgeous lump of red and white plastic was a vision of retro heaven. It even used palm-sized floppy disks in place of the cartridges which were used for later models. If you were a gamer in Europe or the US back in those days, you probably better know this device as the NES, or Nintendo Entertainment System, which was the updated model released around the world in 1985. Both consoles and the 1999 16-bit follow-up, the SNES, took their respective markets by storm and placed the pixelated crown right on the head of Nintendo's top in-house game developer, Shigeru Miyamoto. If you're not sure who he is, just think of any of your favorite retro game, that's katakana for retro games of course, and there's a good chance he designed it. These early consoles were also game changers in terms of the characters and IPs that they introduced to the gaming world. The Mario Brothers, Link, Kirby, Metroid's Samus Aran, that smug dog from Duck Hunt, and the nameless little black magic dude from Final Fantasy 1. All of this iconic Shujin Ko, meaning protagonist or main character, helped Nintendo sail into the living rooms and hearts of tens of millions around the world. As players of a certain generation are so fond of reminding us, gaming back in those days was serious business. Games like Mega Man and Contra were notoriously difficult, so if you plan on diving back into some classics like those, then you'll probably need the lingo to navigate the difficulty settings menu. There's Kantan, easy, 
futsu, normal, and muzukashi, hard. Consider that a little linguistic cheat code. If you're ever tearing your hair out over a retro game you picked up at an Akihabara vintage shop. Nintendo cemented their position at the top of the video game food chain in 1989 with what was technically their second bash at producing a handheld console, the Game Boy. Unsurprisingly, this chunky little grey block was a smash hit and sold over 120 million units. Although I'll admit that the original was slightly before my time, I was still alive in time to wear my thumbs down to numbs catching Pokemon on the Game Boy Color in 1998. But the story of video gaming's first true giant wasn't without its disappointments. By 1995, Nintendo must have felt invincible because they suddenly decided they have the engineering skills to travel 30 years into the future with the Virtual Game Boy, a rudimentary VR headset which launched in 1995. And I mean really rudimentary. This thing caused more headaches than a hardcore rave in a nursing home and was discontinued just one year later. Never mind though. Because by this point, the Nintendo 64 had smashed onto the scene. With its innovative controller and bright 3D graphics, the N64 held its own against the new heavyweight on the scene, the Sony PlayStation. And so began the endless arguments about console superiority, which still dominates millions of internet forums to this day. In part, it was the company mascots who were on the front line of this legit console war. Nintendo rolled out its heavy hitters with Super Mario 64, Donkey Kong 64, The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and more. Truly, Nintendo was the undisputed king of the adventure and platformer genres, both broadly referred to as Adobencha in Japanese. As you've probably already gathered, a lot of the vocab surrounding Japanese video games is drawn from English and written in katakana, which is incredibly helpful. For example, let's imagine, it's Christmas Day 1996 and I've just set off into the Mushroom Kingdom with my shiny new copy of Super Mario 64. I'm gonna spend the next few sleepless nights collecting itemo, items, clearing rebaru, levels, and stomping tekikiara, enemy characters. Nihongo is easy, right? But this wasn't quite enough, the PS1 still outsold the N64. By the time they released the GameCube in 2001, Nintendo had the PS2 and Xbox to contend with, and their fall from the top spot in video gamedom was pretty much complete. These struggles have never fully left Nintendo, as proven by the paltry sales of the Wii U in 2012. Despite all of that, they've retained their reputation by being just damn good fun, the Nintendo Wii's motion controls brought gaming to people who had never picked up a controller in their life and meant you could roll out the Wii Sports to bring some digital fun and games to a family gathering. The same can't really be said for the broody shooters which rule over the other consoles. I mean, I assume so. Maybe your grandma is actually a crack shot at Halo. I don't know. Whatever the case, Nintendo is far from dead and buried. The Switch, Nintendo's half-portable, half-console hybrid from 2017, was nothing short of revolutionary. It returned to the innovative, accessible roots of the company's gaming philosophy and brought some of the best games of this generation despite being considerably less powerful than its rivals on paper. If the good times continue for Nintendo, it's probable that Link will still be smashing pots in the homes of innocent villagers long after we're all gone. 
Okay, so here's a quick vocab recap of the words we've covered surrounding Nintendo. Adobencha, adventure. Retro, retro. Game, game. Shujinko, protagonist or main character. Kantan, easy. Futsu, normal. This one is quite flexible. For example, if someone asks you what thickness of noodles you want, you could also say futsu to get the standard type. Muzukashi, difficult. Aitemu, item. Rebaru, level. Tekikiara, enemy character. If talking about your real-life enemies, just say teki. We've already briefly alluded to the dramatic entry which Sony made onto the video game scene. In 1993, the Sony Interactive Entertainment branch of the company, which had previously been known for their super cool Walkman music players and other AV tech, was formed. This was actually a result of a failed collaboration with Nintendo, with Sony deciding to enter the market only after a deal to produce peripherals for the SNES fell through. In December of the following year, the PlayStation barreled onto the scene to bruise the cheeks of Super Mario with a well-placed roundhouse kick to the head. Sony's revenge seemed complete. But despite the fond memories we have of the original PlayStation's outstanding games, the launch lineup was surprisingly flat. Battlerina Toshinden, anyone? No, I don't think so. That Kakuto game, fighting game, didn't quite match the popularity of classics like Tekken and Street Fighter. Nonetheless, the groundbreaking 3D graphics and iconic Square Circle Triangle X controller were enough to raise a massive hype, and Sony got its feet well and truly planted in the video game market almost a full two years before Nintendo could respond in kind. Even then, the cartridges favoured by the N64 couldn't compete with Sony's compact discs when it came to producing high-fidelity video. This meant that the PlayStation could be marketed as a console for adults, in stark contrast to the usually more cartoonish visuals of Nintendo's system. As if to remove any doubt as to Sony's target demographic, Lara Croft burst onto the scene in the 1996 action game Tomb Raider with the sort of comically giant triangular bust, which unfortunately remained a staple of female character design for years to come. Within the next few years, a solid lineup of action heroes stood alongside her as the flagship Shujinko, that's main character, remember, of Sony's console. There was Solid Snake from Hideo Kojima's stealth action classic Metal Gear Solid, zombie hunting Chris Redfield from Resident Evil, and Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII with his sword big enough to cut a transit van in half. All of these classics came from Japanese studios. These were the franchises which would sail Sony over into the 21st century as the new titans of gaming culture. Final Fantasy and JRPGs in general found a great home on the platform. If you're not sure what a JRPG is, it stands for a Japanese role-playing game. Although here, you'll just hear them called role-playing game. The general premise is that you'll work your way through a story-driven fantasy world, fighting enemies in turn-based battles to gain Keikenchi, that's experience points to you and me, which you'll use to level up attributes like strength, chikara, and agility, subayasa. This genre is so popular in Japan that you'll even see new Final Fantasy releases covered on the national news. 
Yep, video games are a big deal here. Which is one reason why Sony's next console, the PS2, managed to shift an amazing 155 million units worldwide over the 12 years following its launch in March 2000. By switching to DVDs instead of CDs, the games were meatier, the graphics more realistic, and the console more appealing to people who could use it to replace their dusty old VHS player once and for all. It all came with an updated version of Sony's signature DualShock controller, and better processing capabilities than your average home PC in those days. The huge game lineup for the PS2 and its successor, the PS3, continued the trend of appealing to grown-up gamers, making it a direct like-for-like rival of the new Xbox and Xbox 360. And 2013's PlayStation 4 brought virtual reality, or Bacharu Reality, to the lineup with the PlayStation VR headset. What's more, in the past decade or so, gaming underwent its biggest challenge yet. It grew up for real. PlayStation exclusive The Last of Us raised the bar for proper storytelling and genuine depth in games. It's always been Sony's outstanding exclusives, which have tipped the balance for a lot of gamers. Japan made classics like Shadow of the Colossus and Demon's Souls, for example. The latter is famous for being incredibly muzukashi. After picking a Shokugyo character class, players have to clear punishing dungeon after punishing dungeon. You'll be seeing the You Died screen plenty if you play this game. So it's worth remembering the words Suzuki continue and Shuryo quit to navigate past it. It's only a few months until the PS5 hits the shelves, which, aside from making me feel really old, is going to open a pretty exciting new chapter in the story of Japanese gaming's greatest success story. Okay, so here's some of the vocab we've covered in the last part. Kakuto game, fighting game. Action, action. Roru playing, role playing. Keikenchi, experience points. Chikara, strength. Subayasa, agility. Bacharu rarity. Virtual reality. Shokugyo. This generally means profession or job, but in this sense, character class. Suzuki. Continue. Shuryo. Quit. If you were in Tokyo's Akihabara district last month, that's August 2020, you might have stumbled across a slightly strange sight. Hundreds of people flouting social distancing guidelines together outside of the Sega Arcade, or Arcado, where the employees stood at the doorway bowing. This little ceremony signaled the closing of the second Sega Arcade in one month, which is a damn shame. These iconic towers were a local landmark for almost two decades, where the otaku, or geeks, who thrives in this part of town would gather to play all sorts of crazy rhythm games, card games, and Gundam battles. Sega has been a major name in arcades since way back in the 60s, so there are still some other outlets dotted around town, and they're well worth a visit if you fancy playing something new. Alongside the usual dancing rhythm games, there are also some distinctly Japanese offerings like Taiko no Tatsujin, a drumming game which stimulates playing Taiko traditional Japanese drums, battle stimulations, or 
simulation game which use trading cards and more UFO machines than you can shake a stick at. I'm even told that some of the men's toilets have urinals with built-in games which score you based on your accuracy and how long you use them? That's some signature Japanese wackiness on full show. Sega's bad luck during the coronavirus pandemic isn't anything new. They've taken more than their fair share of blows over the past decades. They were the first major casualty of the console wars, after all. In fact, they haven't released a console since 1998's Sega Dreamcast bombed at the box office, even though plenty of diehard otaku swear by it as a brilliant piece of kit. To get your hands on any Sega gear nowadays, you'd have to head along to a Chuko Hinten, second-hand store, in one of the retro electronics hotspots. Most have a nice range to choose from. There's the SG-1000, which launched exclusive to Japan in 1982, only to be dominated by the Famicom, which claimed 90% of the market, and it similarly lackluster follow-up the SG-1000 too. But the one which everyone remembers is the Sega Mega Drive, which brought all the power of Sega's trademark 16-bit arcade machines to a home console in 1988. If you're an American, you'll know this one by its stateside name, the Sega Genesis. Being a 16-bit machine in an 8-bit era, it naturally had the edge when it came to graphics and gameplay, and it was a huge hit. Suddenly, Sega had snatched a huge slice of the pie right off Nintendo's plate. Think Golden Axe, Street Fighter 2, Castlevania, Sonic the Hedgehog. If you wanted to be the coolest kid in class back in the late 80s, you'd better have those games sitting on your bookshelf. The local multiplayer on Street Fighter 2 alone was probably responsible for more smashed TVs and ruined friendships than any other game of the era. If you're anything like me, then you're a total shoshinsha at those retro arcade games. Shoshinsha means beginner. Or more aptly, noob. But even if you think you're pretty good, when you go head to head with the locals in the arcades here, you'll probably end up getting your 8 bit ass handed to you. No matter how frustrating it might be, just smile and say, Otsukare sama desu. In this context, basically, good game or well played. And despite writing high throughout the early 90s, Sega were about to receive a similar beatdown. Their Sega Saturn console, released in Japan in 1994, totally flopped in the US one year later, thanks to the forward-thinking folks at Sony who undercut it on price and one-upped it on just about everything else. Sega took one last swing at producing consoles with the Dreamcast, released stateside in 1999. Things seemed to be going really well, until the PS2 arrived the following year to smash Sonic and Tails' dreams into pieces. But it was hardly game over for Sega. That's game over, of course. They've kept making software even until now, with a hand in some pretty big franchises. If you're a PC gamer, you'll be well aware of this from Total War series, or Football Manager. Clearly, Sega are still doing pretty okay, despite being video game history's beaten and bruised Haisha, or loser. That brings us to the end of our rundown of how Japan became the video game behemoth it is today. Here's your last vocab recap for today. Arcade. Arcade. Otaku. Geek or nerd, and more of a positive word than an insult. Taiko. Traditional Japanese drums. Simulation game. Simulation game. For example, 
Ren Ai Shimuri Shun Game is a dating sim game, one of Japan's quirkiest and most popular genres. Chu Ko Hinten, Secondhand Store, Shoshinsha, Noob or more generally, Beginner. Otsukare sama desu, a phrase which basically means good work. It's said after sports matches and video game matches, but also when finishing up at the office as a way of saying thanks for your hard work to colleagues. Make it even more formal by saying, Otsukare sama deshita. Game over. Game over. Haisha. Loser or defeated person. While you might call Sony and Nintendo the Shousha. Winners. Before we wrap up for today, I'd like to sincerely apologize to every franchise and company I've missed out. Like I said at the start, Japanese gaming culture is so vast that it would take weeks to explore every little part of it. But if you want to go about exploring it for yourself, I have a few final tips. One is to head along to the second-hand stores in Akihabara and other electronics hotspots. You'll be able to find some rare retro gems to take home, or just enjoy looking at all the crazy Japan-only titles racked up on their shelves. Or if you'd rather just relax and try some retro games without the hassle of shopping, head along to a retro gaming bar. Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, and most other major cities all have places where you can smash your friends at several hundred Mega Drive and Famicom titles over a few beers. And last. Give the original Japanese language setting a go. You never know what nice new vocab you'll discover. If you're feeling inspired to pick up some more Japanese for yourself, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the official website to learn more. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you'll join me next time for another vocab-packed tour through the fascinating culture of Japan. Mata ne.